Jesus said, but what thank you? He interrupted a conversation that he had been having with the Pharisees, and they asked him about his authority. It's amazing the wisdom had that Jesus had and how he displayed it in his teaching and in his interaction with mankind. He said, well, what think you? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he, meaning the son, answered and said, I will, but afterward, wait just a minute. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And went not. Jesus asked this question, listen. Whether of the twain did the will of his father? And they say unto him, the first. And Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not, that ye might believe him. Father, I'm thankful today for the privilege of being in this place. I'm thankful, God, for the fellowship we've had, the stirring of the Spirit that I feel in my heart and the Word that's uh, laid out before us. And I pray, God, that, Lord, you just just touch me. Father, I, I need you. Lord, I've studied, I've prayed, I've sought your face, but God, accept you. Touch me with that Spirit of God, with that anointing that, that refreshes and enables and enlightens. God, my words would just be word. So I pray, God, that we might see the manifestation of the power of God and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Lord, through this word, do his work today. Save the lost, edify your people, but bring glory and honor to your name and to the Son uh, who is known as Jesus. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory for it all. For we ask it in that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said. I want to talk to you today about what this parable is about. This parable illustrates repentance better than any other passage of Scripture that I'm personally aware of in the entire Word of God. It's a simple parable. It's so simple that even I can understand it. And as I read this, I can't help but get tickled just a little bit how that Jesus spoke honestly and directly and firmly to the Pharisees, those religious elite, they thought that thought they were something more than what they actually were. I like the way Jesus just peels back their layers of hypocrisy to get down to the very heart. And when he gets down to their heart, he finds that it's got murder in it. It's no wonder they wanted to crucify him the way he spoke to him. But listen, he spoke to them the truth. And that's what we need today. We need the truth. I want to talk to you again about repentance. I'm afraid that in this day, maybe above all other days, it's one of the most misunderstood subjects there is in the entire Word of God. Now, I want you to know, friend, that it may not be a fashionable subject, but it is a necessary subject to look at. It may not be, uh, it is not uh, regretting 
and having remorse, although in repentance there should be regret and there should be remorse. Let me tell you what I believe it is. It is, now listen to this statement. It is a critical element of conversion. It is more than saying a prayer and it is more than making a profession of faith. There are multitudes of people that pray, but they're not saved. There are multitudes of people that profess something, but they lack a possession. Here's what we teach and preach at Rock Atlanta, that if you confess your sin, repent of your sin, and by faith receive Christ as your Savior, you'll come become a possessor of eternal life, and your profession will be lived out in your life. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance comes from a Greek word, and I can't pronounce English very well, so forgive me with this enunciation of metaneo. The Greek word metaneo means to have a change of mind. Now, I've read where some people says it means to have a change of mind about God. There may be a part of that in that definition, but let's go further or farther. It means to have a change of mind about sin. And it's not somebody else's sin. It's about your sin and my sin. It's a personal look at who and what we are. And according to this book, not according to T.K. Price, not according to Roxalana, Gospel Tabernacle, but according to this book, when we're lost and undone, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Because the Bible said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this metanoia means a change of mind. Now listen to this, that doesn't stop there. It is a change of mind that produces a change of heart that results in a change of living or in a change of lifestyle. And I'm telling you, friend, if you just change your mind and it doesn't produce a change in living, you're not saved. It's just that simple. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, let me give you an old adage. It's real simple. The proof is in the pudding. Turn with me, if you will, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let me read you a verse. Paul was preaching to this church at Thessalonica. He was preaching to people who had recently come to Christ, who had recently repented and received Christ as their Savior. And listen to what Paul said was the process. He said in verse 9 of chapter 1, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how that ye, speaking to Thessalonians, turned to God from idols, and here it is, to serve the living and the true God. Somebody said, well, preacher, repentance is just turning around. Well, I'll tell you what, if you turn all the way around, you're still going in the same way. But you got to turn away from sin. Everybody heard me say, away from sin, say amen, and to God. After you're saved, you'll not be perfect. You'll still sin. That's what my next lesson is on down in our young convert class. But I'll tell you what, you'll no longer be a sinner as having a lifestyle and a perpetual life of sinning. Somebody say amen right there. 
Jesus Christ came into this world, listen now, first uh, chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 21, to save us from our sins, not in our sins. And if you say that you have changed and there is no change, there's been no change. So repentance. Repentance is a turning from sin. This is a big word the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. It is a repudiation of the old life and a turning to Almighty God for the impartation of a new life from above. In the book of 2 Peter, and you can turn there and look if you want, chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about when we come to Christ, we become a partaker of the new nature. You say, what's that mean? We become a partaker of God's nature. Isn't that amazing? I can't explain it. I'm not called to explain it. I'm just called to declare that's what happened. When we have been born again, we become a partaker of the very nature of God. You know what that does to this little mind of mine? You can't see it, but it's happening. In between these ears, it's going... You ever see those cartoons go and come back down? That's the way my mind feels. He said in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 7, he said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And he goes on to say, except, uh, he said, you must be born again. You know what born again means? It means to be born from above. It's obvious everybody in here has been born from beneath been born naturally but what we need is a second birth we need to be born from above we need to have that nature of God birthed in us through the power of the Holy Spirit and when that happens turn with me if you will and read this with me the book of first John chapter 3 things happen in us and through us when John wrote this epistle the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it. And it's a very personal letter to the family of God. And listen to what John says in verse 2 and following of 1 John chapter 3. And I, I, I like all of this. But John gets real. If I had time to show you what John said about chapter 1, he'd tell us that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. But he'd go on in chapter 2 and tell us that God has made provision for those of us who have been saved for when we sin. But he goes on in chapter 3 and says, look, I want you to know something. It's not everybody that professes they're saved that are saved. Look, look let me, I'll be over here in a minute. Just don't go anywhere, all right? I want you all to know something. It's not everybody that comes to this altar that prays and makes a profession of faith that actually got saved. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't know who does and who doesn't. I'll treat them like a brother or sister in Christ. I'll take their profession, but I'll watch their life. If they don't get baptized, it bothers me. If they don't come to church, it bothers me. If I don't see them any other time than one night at an altar of prayer, I can pray and say, I hope they're going somewhere else. I got news for y'all. It's not everybody comes to this altar and prays and makes a profession of faith that actually gets saved. 
Do y'all know I didn't tell them this, but I'm going to tell you this. Some people get conviction and conversion all mixed up. I don't doubt that something happens at that altar. Something brings them to an altar. But brother, sister, let me be clear about this. If you come to Christ, you are a new creature. All things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. Now listen to what I'm going to say. We're living in a day when people lie to you and never bat an eye. They'll tell you that, quote, you can get saved and go on living like the devil, unquote. That's a lie, burnt out of the pits of hell. There are people tell you today, read Jude, only one chapter, verse 4, that they're teaching that you can get saved and lived and live in sin. And Jude said that is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. When I know that Paul taught in the book of Romans, see, I could shout on this one, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. The Romans asked Paul, well, what? If grace abounds where sin doth abound, shall we continue in sin that the grace of God may abound? Listen to Paul. God forbid. When we get saved, we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what repentance is all about. Am I doing okay this morning? Is this clear? I need it to be clear. I need it to be clear. Listen to verse 2 and following. But now are we the sons of God and does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when we see him we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is listen closely and every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure you know what I found out after I got saved I didn't want to go to the places I used to before I got saved I definitely didn't want to drink anymore I definitely didn't want to cuss anymore there were, there, there were some people I didn't even want to hang around anymore. Their conversation bothered me. Their lifestyle bothered me. I mean, to tell you, it just wasn't fun anymore. Are you all with me? Look, one of the greatest evidences that you've been saved, after that you have been saved, you're working to become like Christ because being a Christian means to be Christ-like. In fact, Christian means to be a little Christ. It means that we are to pattern our life out of the life, after the life of Christ. And can I just throw a pastoring thing in here really quick because I am your pastor. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Want me to tell you what the custom of Christ was? He went to church. And if you're a little Christ, you ought to go to church. If you're watching this and you're well and you belong here, somebody else, and it's church time, shame on you. I, hey, I'm just telling you the way it is. He goes on. Now listen to this, how it's written. Whosoever committeth sin. There's a difference in committing a sin and committing sin, or you continue to commit up, meaning it is a practice, meaning it is a lifestyle. Are y'all with me? 
Well, I could say so much. I'm trying to figure out what to and what not to. But let me just say it this way. If you profess to know Christ as Savior, there's something wrong if you continue to sin without any conviction, without any chastisement, without any heartburn, and without any issues in your life. Sir or ma'am, you best go to the altar and do some serious praying. That's what John is telling us. He goes on to say, for sin is the transgression of the law, meaning it is a breaching of the boundaries that God has put up to protect us. He goes on to say, and ye know that he, speaking of Christ, now listen to this, was take away our sin, and in him is no sin. I'll quit at verse 6. And whosoever abideth in him, meaning Christ, sinneth not. In other words, you don't sin as a practice. You don't sin as a lifestyle. You got that? He goes on to finish, and he says, Whosoever sinneth, y'all ready for this? Had not seen him, nor known him. You can profess anything you want. Remember what I told you a while ago, the proof's in the pudding? It'll come out in your life. And what you do, and where you go, and what you say. Can I tell you, out of the, out of the heart come the issues of life. Now, I know this isn't a happy, happy, happy message. But I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to teach you. It is a good repentance message. It is a good salvation message. And let's face it, you won't hear it in every church, from every pulpit in America. But here's one that you'll hear it from. Because why? Because I want you to get the good stuff, the right stuff. I want you to get the true stuff. Repentance is not just feeling shame or sorrow. It should include that, but it's not just that. But it is an intentional decision to forsake sin and to pursue those things that will please God instead of ourselves. And I'm going to get to a good verse on that in just a minute. It is, like I've already told you, something that produces a new man. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. How many of y'all fell in love with new things after you got saved? Say amen. I don't have time to listen. I don't have time to investigate them. But they're pretty obvious, and you'll know them when they happen. You see, when a new When a person repents, it means that they realize that they're guilty, vile, unclean person in the sight of God, deserving his wrath and deserving the place in hell, forever paying for their sins without ever getting them paid for. You see, that's why I got saved. On the afternoon of April the 23rd, 1974, leaning on a rake in my backyard, I had just taken my Gravely tractor and tore the ground up. I wasn't going to have any more gardens. Denver had let me in enough gardens. I didn't want to raise one of my own. I had that ground plowed up and tore up. And you know what the Holy Spirit was doing? He was plowing my heart. 
and I was sitting there thinking about that new ground that was in my heart wanting it to become new and I thought man if I die like I am today I'm going to hell the Holy Spirit said you don't have to there's a revival going on down the road I went to revival or heard my soul salvation nailed in an altar and at about 842 I became a new creature in Christ Jesus and I am happier about that than anybody else in here. Thank God for it. I want you to get something exactly like it. It not only means that you realize something, but it means a person renounces sin of whatever sort it may be, and they become a new. And it means that they practice. Uh, they practice. Let me get this right. It means it's it. It. Let me get it right. It means a person renounces sin of whatever sort it may be and it's practiced regardless of the cost and then they do as Jesus taught. And you say, what did he taught? Teach. He said this. Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man, meaning woman, boy or girl, will come after me, let him, here's the hard part, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what we got to do if we repent. If we truly repent, we die to ourselves. That's what taking up the cross means. We become alive in Christ. Galatians 2.20 tells us that. And instead of following the course of the world, Ephesians 2 and 1, we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the edicts of this book we know as the Bible. Are y'all praying? The awful quiet. Repentance is a new way of living. Now, the New Testament, as it opens, you know how it opens? And I'll get back to my parable in a minute. I'll explain the parable shortly when I get to the end of the message, and I'll do it quickly. Do you all know how the New Testament opens? Turn with me, if you will, look at Matthew chapter 3. We're going to stay right there and look at a couple things out of chapter 4. But it opens up with a prophecy being fulfilled it opens up if you will and the first message that is preached in the new testament could you guess what is a message of it is a message of repent or perish it is a message of repentance look with me if you will at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 3 of matthew in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Did ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias or Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make it pass straight. And the same John, meaning Baptist, by the way, at his raiment of camel's hair, and a leather girdened about his loins, and his meat with locusts and wild honey. And then out to him Jerusalem, and Judea, and all the regions around about Jordan. And he baptized, and, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees he cut, uh, to come to his baptism, listen to this. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come. Verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits, meat unto repentance. 
The New Testament opens with John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, crying out clearly and repetitively to a nation that he loved, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Y'all know what I like when preachers preach and they're clear enough in their message that even I could understand. And you know why John said what he did in verse 8, to bring forth fruit meats for repentance? You know what he was saying? He said, look, I want you to show that there's been a change in your life. Read on with me. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. I'm getting close to the end of my message. Y'all might be ready to have a heart attack on that one. Look at verse 12. And I know we got a lot to do today. I just thought this would make three Sundays in a row I've been brief. Y'all do know that, don't you? I promise you don't get used to it. Verse 12 and following. And when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, meaning Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in darkness in the shadow of death, light has sprung up. And listen to this. And from that time, Jesus began to preach. And could you imagine what he said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think this is hilarious. But I think it's obvious that he should have done it. You say, why would he preach repentance? Because if you want to go to heaven, there's no other way to get there. Just that simple. That's how important that it is. That the first preacher in the New Testament, in a new dispensation, in a new age, would preach repent or perish. His voice was silent when he was imprisoned after about six months of preaching and baptizing people who repented of their sins as evidence of repenting of their sins. When his voice was silenced, Jesus began, listen, I believe he found one of John's old outlines. And the text on the top of the page, just like is on mine, was repent or perish. Hey, I'll preach somebody else's message in a heartbeat. If Jesus could do it, surely I can. Amen. Although this is mine, by the way. Repent. Isn't that amazing? Jesus thought it so important, unsaved, that he began his earthly ministry, which set the, th- uh, uh, the, the, uh, the tone and the theme of the ministry that he came to do that he proclaimed the very same message that John had preached. You know what he said in the book of Luke chapter 5, verse 32? You know what he does? He establishes his divine direction for coming and the purpose for his living and dying. You know what he said in 532 of the book of Luke? He said, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. No other way, friend, to get to heaven 
except go through Christ, except become sorry for your sin, except turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. He's not asking people to turn to an empty profession. He doesn't want that. And then continue living in sin as if there had been no change because there had been no change. But he said in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. To seek and to... You know what the word save means? It means to bring salvation to. It means to deliver someone from something and or out of something. And salvation itself means that it is a, it is a divine, full, and completely free act of God by which he delivers lost sinners from the penalty, the power, and one day, by the grace of God, the presence of sin. And that's enough to make an RGTite shout. That's more, more than what we know to do with. So let me close back at our parable in chapter 21. Come on, Judy, don't start playing yet, but come on. That's how close I am. This parable, folks, illustrates two things just as clearly as anything out can without any commentary necessary. One of them is the hypocrisy of a profession of faith without any kind of true repentance, which means that there is only a profession and no manifestation of a change in an individual's life. I've told you all this before from the pulpit. Some of you all that's not been here have not heard it. But every time I go in and out of Roxalana, or not Roxalana, out of uh, Woodward Drive, where Debbie and I live, we go past a gay church. That breaks my heart. I mean, that breaks my heart. Y'all know that there are churches today that are meeting, well, let me back up, there are some, quote, churches, unquote, that are meeting in bars, and both the pastor and the congregants, while the service supposedly goes on, they drink beer. Now, can y'all believe that, folks? Now, look, I'm not pulling your leg, I'm telling you true. Listen, listen, listen. I taught them downstairs, I'll teach you up here. When we get saved, we don't become perfect. We just have a perfect salvation. We will sin after we get saved. But trust me, if you get saved, you won't do it successfully. It it won't have nearly uh, the, the benefit that it once did before you got saved. And I say that real lightly, I don't have time to explain it. But there is pleasure in sin. But I'm going to tell you, if you get saved, there won't be near as much. Okay, you won't, you won't want to continue in it. If there's been a change, you say, why? Because you become a new creature. Let me finish this. You see, this parable describes two people. Number one, those who pretend to be saved but are not regardless of what they profess. The first son the father came to said, go to my vineyard and work. Verse 29, he said, I will 
Not, wait, I, that's the wrong one. The second, he came to the second and said, go to my vineyard and work. And he said, I go, sir, and went not. That's pretty obvious, is it not? And he went, and, he, and, and it talks about the other ones, and it's those who pretend to be saved, but are not regardless of what they profess. The first one said, listen, I will not go. But afterward, he repented and went. Jesus asked him. Jesus said, look, which one of these really got it? And they knew which one really got it. The one that said he wouldn't go, but went because he repented. Go ahead, Judy. So allow me to close by declaring. And I've already declared it in this message that apart from repentance, there's no salvation. You say, preacher, why are you preaching this morning? Because a lot of people are mixed up on it. A lot of people don't understand, friend, that when we get saved, I'm going to say this again, we become a new creature in Christ. We become new from the inside out. We start a new journey. We're on a new path. We've got a new destination. We have new desires. We've got a new heart. We've got a new mind. We've got a new language. We've got a new voice. We're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. We have a new beginning and a new destination. Repentance is a turning away from sin and a turning to God. I tried to prove that to you out of the book of 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9. That's what Paul testified to about, about those that were saved when he went to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, Thessalonica and preached the gospel there of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When we have a decision to turn away from our sins, and turn to Christ, turn to God, can I tell you, such a decision will manifest itself in our life. Let me say again, we won't get everything perfect. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. But I'll guarantee you there'll be a desire in your heart to want to be. So everybody, let's bow our heads. Go going to look to the Lord. I'm going to the Lord in prayer.